Coming up on the next episode of Way Down in the Hole, we break down why Scott Templeton is the worst. We also give you our favorite scenes and moments from this episode and tell you some of the scenes that age the worst. That's coming up on Way Down in the Hole. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. We're no school today, so we took bug to do something, ain't okay? It is when you don't tell no one. Now how they come down here all day long to make sure your shit is straight? This your corner what, nigga? I'm checking out to make sure shit's right at the end of the day. All right? Yo, count right? Yeah, all straight. Ain't the point you know it. Chris already heard about this shit. Nice dolphin, nigga. <laughs> Let's go home, man. Deal with this bullshit later. What do you know about Daniels? Who is he? CID commander. Came out of the Eastern DEU. Married to the Daniels that won the council seat in 06. There will be a fresh round of buyouts. That will require some hard choices throughout the newsroom. Hi, welcome back everybody. We are now in episode three of season five of The Wire called Not For Attribution. I'm digging that they're using all these journalism terms to title the episodes, but that should be the case since a lot of this is about the media and about journalism and newspapers, mm-hmm. a lot of ultra nerdy stuff, which I'm still not sure how that stuff lands. You know, this episode, I, I think I said for episode two, that episode was actually much better than I thought it was. Yeah. But I I now, I mean, episode three didn't quite. It was just, a throwaway. I have it Yeah. Written. Oh my God. You, you said it perfectly. It's like curl, not quite. Yeah, uh, it was a total throwaway, and yeah. that that is unexpected in a season that's already shortened. It's already only ten episodes, and this one just kind of felt like, eh, all right, we're yeah. moving along. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I I have it 
as I was, I was, as I was, because, you know, we were on the path of, hey, season five is a hidden gem. Season five is this. Season five is that. And I'm not saying those things aren't true. I'm just saying that as I watched this episode, I was like, mm, okay. All right. Makes a lot of sense that not you're moving, everybody You're moving on to my side, man. I uh, can feel it. You're moving uh, on to my side. <laughs> this was one. But I'm saying the season is still young. But I'm saying I, I kind of, I'm, 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 I'm watching this episode. This episode was definitely a throwaway episode. I mean, it had its moments. Oh, it had. Once again, this episode is classic season five. There are some unbelievably. We on that hen doggy dog? First of all, stay out my whoa, business. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, t- I said I was, I was going to get a drink. <laughs> they took us off YouTube so people <laughs> might not be able to see. Jamel, did, y- did y'all just hear the, the clink of the glass? The clink of the clink? <laughs> Jamel, what we on today, Jamel? So it's not just any Hennessy. I just want you to know that. Uh-huh. Right? Okay, because I'm not a total commoner. It is, it is privilege. And Ooh. it's not just any brand of privilege. It's privilege that actually has my name inscribed on the bottle because of the good folks at Hennessy sent this to me. Wow. Maserati mail. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, so yes, that is that is a little privilege. I felt like, you know, I needed to uh to pregame for this particular podcast, even though I'm pre-gaming during it. So right. just with to it. add more flavor and authenticity to it. I am with it. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> this episode, like I was saying, before I was distracted by that <laughs> By the Hennessy. <laughs> yeah, this episode... Okay, first of all, hold up. What? If we if we doing distractions now, you uh-huh. know, ladies and gentlemen, right now, Van just decided to use this moment to water his plant. But, you know, not to see the rest of us that ain't quite on that level. Um, you know, we just get a little cup. You know, yeah. I just use... I have this little Yeti. I just fill yeah. it with water and water my plant. No, no, Van has the full-on spray. I got the spritzer, baby. You got the and spritzer. And you get, I got the spritzer, which is so expensive. It costs a whole $3. So, um, but no, I got the spritzer. <laughs> you got to spray Oscar, man. Oscar getting big over here. That's my G. And uh, you've named your plant. So between my Hennessy and your spritzer, this is where we are. All this right. is where we are. So look, quintessential episode five episode, right? Quintessential. Right. Why? Because this episode is some disappointment wrapped up in some classic wire moments. Some classic wire moments and some gigantic storylines are, 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 are happen here, are jumped off here, a lot of fathers away type of deals uh, in this episode. Um, but, you know, at the same time, there's a lot that goes on in the newspaper here, and it happens to be some of the least compelling stuff uh, when you start to look at the entirety of the show. Yeah, and and that was what I've noticed mostly about this episode is like the newspaper stuff. While again, as a newspaper veteran, yeah, I I found it sort of entertaining, but but it also not necessarily. I it didn't it didn't entertain me as much as it just put me back in the place of what it was like working for a daily newspaper. Mm-hmm. It was more nostalgia than anything, but it just felt like that whole the whole storyline is dragging it down. Like I felt like he could have made. The whole point about the media being complicit and seeing all these problems happen, never wanting to get to the root of the issue, only wanted to only wanted to do surface level reporting. He could have gotten to that without taking us completely inside the newsroom culture. So right. it feels like with season five, you have two storylines warring with each other for attention, you know, mm-hmm. because you have McNulty completely unhinged. And, you know, more self-destructive than normal. And then you have this whole other world of newspapers that I, I just don't find it that compelling 
enough to weave them all together. Like I, we're used to seeing them tell multiple big stories at once, like telling the story of broken politics in Baltimore with also broken the broken educational system. They did that masterfully, right? Mm -hmm. They intertwined well, compelling characters, but like this just doesn't, it just doesn't, it, it, it misses the mark. And so mm -hmm. every, yeah, you're right. Every, every episode I'm left feeling a level like of dissatisfaction with all of them because I'm just like, uh, classic wire movements bogged down in a storyline that I just don't think works. So, right. and this is coming from a newspaper woman, right? Who, who would love to, you know, talk about newspapers. And I have a, I, I'm trying not to go too nerdy newspapers mm -hmm. throughout as we discuss season five, because it's so much of this I understand and had to deal with in my own newspaper career. So many of these characters I recognize because they are littered throughout newspapers. But at the same time, I, I just as a as a regular television viewer, this is not that compelling. So this is going to be a, a bit of an interesting season to chug through. And I realized that why before I never attacked season five as much as I probably will in this one. And that is because it seduces you with the conclusions like mm -hmm. all through this whole time. Like we're getting storylines wrapped up like we're over like, oh, shit, shit is coming full circle. You're seeing things. And then, you know, it just kind of leaves you with a, a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. But. Well, because, like we said before, some of the street shit that's happening here in terms of... Because we're essentially watching uh, Marlowe's Way, Rise to Power. Remember that yes. Carlito's Way, Rise to Power? Rise joint? to Power, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're essentially watching that here. I mean, not that we didn't see it uh, with the Stansfield War and kind of like last season, but we're seeing more of Marlowe, of the machinations of his, of his uh, organization and kind of how he operates. And that stuff is really, 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 really good. It is. And it, 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 it loses because you have this other storyline. Mm -hmm. Like, it should be... Like, if you if you went back and ranked the order in which they should be telling this story, Marlo should be number one. He right. should be number one, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go McNulty, self-destructive, police department fucked up, maybe politics. But, like, that should be the order. And it's like, right. the newspaper's number one. It's like, no, it's <laughs> right, right. And so that and so whenever we get back to Marlowe and get back to this, the sort of rhythms of the wire that we're used to, it shines. We're going to move forward with more episodes and we're just going to have to see just how much of the newspaper stuff takes us out of what it is that we're watching here. And not to say that all the newspaper stuff is bad, but just saying that it's not compelling enough to stay on it as much as maybe they did. Yeah. But once again, there's some great scenes, some great moments uh, in this episode that I categorized earlier as kind of a throwaway episode. Mm. Well, uh, with that said, let's get to the recap. So McNulty continues his bold and dangerous plan of inventing a fictional serial killer and Bunk tries to stage an intervention using Lester and that totally backfires because Lester's like, shit, not only do I support this plan, let me help you pull it off. Mm -hmm. I, I gotta stop right there. Do you find that, given everything we know about Lester and how he is, do you find that believable? That Lester would go along that with this. That Lester would go scheme. along with this. Uh, good question. Yes. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I think Lester from season one and season two wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Because remember, that Lester was just getting back into doing police work. He was sort of disillusioned. Everything that was going on and a lot of the things that he was doing were almost in spite of the police department. You know, he was kind of coming back to it. Lester's involvement in being police ramps up throughout the series, right? He begins to re-sort of commit to his job. Lester gets married. I don't know if people have noticed that. 
in this season, you see Lester with a ring on his finger, right? And I, I think that he starts to become super invested into the job, into things as the series goes, as the series goes. And I think, you know, he's taken down so many people and he really looks at the the the, the cases that he's put on, on Marlowe, what he's doing with Clay Davis as things that now he has to fulfill. And like, remember, to, like we talked about in the last episode, sort of kind of how he was talking about career case, I could die a happy man. That's completely antithetical to the things that he was saying before. You need to get something out of this. A good case ends. And I think that is changing in him. So it's believable for this Lester. It's not believable for the Lester that we've come to know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I agree. There's definitely been a change in him. But I also think this is some of Lester's ego. And we've seen this with him and McNulty. And I think mm -hmm. it's the bond that they share is that sure. they don't take losing lightly. And they they honestly, they they're one of those. They're the type of people who have the mentality that they hate to lose more than they love to win. And so it bothers him that Marlo has eluded him. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And so uh, that is, to me, driving him more than anything, is that he cannot he cannot stomach that somebody on the street actually is smarter than him and has been able to outsmart all the maneuvers he's used to working. So uh, a little bit of it is ego. I mean, at this point, it's kind of like 60-40 ego to justice with the 60 yeah, I mean, being the ego. Yeah, I mean, there's been a regression. It's interesting that we heard Carver say to the kids a couple of seasons ago, maybe three seasons ago now, you do not get to win. Right. Shitbird, you don't get to win. Shitbird, yeah. you don't get to win. And now yeah. he's anything but that. Right. Now yeah. he, he is, he's, he looks at the win in a completely different way. He looks at the win in a more holistic way. He looks right. at how the community wins and how the department wins and how, you know, some, I guess, functioning systems win, you know. Not that he's doing it perfectly, but he's trying his best. Whereas McNulty says that exact same line, this guy does not get to win. There's a regression that happened with McNulty and to a degree, Freeman as well. Mm -hmm. While you see a character like Carve, you know, progressing. Right. Sort of evolving, becoming something different than what it was, wholly different than what it was when we first met him. So those are the little nuggets, the little parts in this season that when you really start digging through and watching with the critical eye that you can appreciate. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, yeah, that was just a question that popped into my mind looking at Lester. I was like, huh, I, I wondered that sitting there seeing him kind of, because um, he's been the voice of reason on so many other issues. It was like Lester being mm -hmm. dragged into this. I didn't consider that unbelievable necessarily, but there's a part of me that wondered if it was believable based off what we knew Lester to be. Prop Joe continues to teach Marlo the game, this time showing him how he can smoothly launder his money. Uh, meanwhile, Marlo has his, finally has his meeting with the Greeks and he continues to work to undermine <laughs> Prop Joe as Prop Joe is trying to teach him how to be a better kingpin. Uh, speaking of that, Punk Ass Cheese gives Chris the drop on how they can get to Omar for the 50K reward. Uh, just sold out for 50 grand. It's like, dog, like, okay. Cheese is terrible. He is just a terrible person. He gets the 50,000 that Marlo promised to lead to information on Omar. Chris and Snoop, of course, follow this information to uncover Marlo. They torture and kill Butchie. Uh, and word gets back to Omar, who finally pops up. Uh, Omar been living his best life somewhere in the Caribbean or whatever. And suddenly he is jarred back to reality by the news that Butchie is gone. Carcetti moves to oust Burrell and replace him with Daniels for cooking the stats when he told him not to. 
Another question I wonder, like, let's just say Burrell had went in there honestly. Mm -hmm. Do you think that really would have saved his job? Well, they said before very clearly that it would. They said that, you know, if Burrell comes in here and does the whole thing, then blah, 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 he's good. Uh, but he came in dirty and they had to do it. He came in like Burrell, like, yeah. like he normally would. Yeah. So right. I don't I don't know why they would expect him to do anything less. Uh, Clay Davis, to use something Avon said before about Stringer, is a man without a country. Uh, Burrell has already told him he can't help him. And Carcetti has now given him the cold shoulder, which is a bit of revenge considering how Clay shook him down previously, and the state continues to build their case against Clay Davis. Michael shares some of his concerns about Marlo, Chris, and Snoop with Daquan. And Daquan, because he's such a tender soul, he had amazing suggestion, which is that they just say, you know what, fuck this drug dealer right now. Let's go to Six Flags. Great yeah. idea. Love um, that. And Scott Templeton grows increasingly ambitious and brazen in his fabrications he has made up quote about Daniels being the successor has unintended consequences for Daniels, who now has to do some damage control to show that he wasn't always or secretly plotting to take Burrell's job. And mm -hmm. speaking of consequences, buyouts ravaged the Baltimore Sun, forcing them to do, as their top editor put it, less with more. The story of newspapers. So to that end, we decided to take a character. More with less. Oh, I'm sorry. To do more with less, not less, less with more. Less with more is... <laughs> Less with more is different. That's kind of like... That's like mediocrity. <laughs> yeah. Or below less, that. Less with more is the Milwaukee Bucks playoff team. Uh, <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoff. Less that with more. they put more. together? You're not a fan? Right. Less with more <laughs> is the Cowboys organization. Yes. You got it all. Less with more. That's what yeah. less with more is. Yeah. At least they're from late 90s on. That seems to be their history. Right. Uh, but for now, we will take a, a deeper look, our character deep dive. We're jumping into uh, Scott Templeton. And mm. I, I have worked with so many Scott Templetons. Oh, my God. Mm. Like, not just newspapers. Life is full of, of Scott Templetons. Like, right. Scott Templeton is the Karen of newspapers. So, it's very <laughs> true. Yes. I mean, for this particular world, here you have an overzealous, overambitious a white boy who thinks he invented reporting, who is probably not as good as he thinks he is, clearly not, because which is why Gus keeps calling him out. And rather than accept his own mediocrity, he continues to try to fail upward, which, of course, is completely enabled by the fact that other white dudes who are in charge look at Scott Templeton as some kind of star when he's a shitty reporter who's mediocre as fuck. And there is a theme here that I hope people pick up is that you there's a reason why they keep juxtapo uh, juxtaposing how Scott Templeton is versus how uh, Alma Gutierrez is, um, mm -hmm. the Latino reporter. Is that notice, like, she's hardworking. She keeps her, uh, you know, nose to the grindstone. She's trying to learn to be a better reporter. And not just her, but also the black reporter whose name is totally escaping me. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why that they're juxtapositioning all of them kind of against each other to show sort of how things work in newspapers. You have a lot of people of color who are in newspapers, in journalism, who have been killing themselves and working and grinding. And what they see constantly is that there are a lot of uh, self-identified white reporters who wind up going this glorious path strictly not because they're actually better than them, but because somebody has chosen to believe that, oh, yeah, you know, given this level of education and given who he is, oh, yes, they're they're a star. They've anointed somebody as opposed to allowing them to prove they're actually good. So the mm. Scott Templetons 
of journalism, um, and this is not to pick on white guys or white people in general, but it is to say, like, that is a prevalent problem in the business. So two things about that, I have this written down. Number one, I want people to, I have that exact same deal kind of noted here, but I want people to remember something that white dudes wrote this. That's what I think. Want you guys to remember... Former Baltimore Sun reporter wrote this. White, white dudes wrote this. And that tells me something. It's not only black people that don't like the Scott Templetons. White dudes don't like them either. It's a bunch of other... He's less pernicious and dangerous to them sometimes because maybe they're not competing in the same way. But David Simon, when he was in the newsroom, the guy who was the Scott Templeton of his newsroom, he didn't like him either. He, but but there always is somebody who does, right? Another thing about Scott is he's a tragic figure in a lot of ways. And the reason why he's a tragic figure is because he's so used to cutting corners that he'll never really know how good he is at anything in life. Like, he won't... He Like, Alma Gutierrez, she is going to be, at one point, the best reporter she could possibly be. And if that means she's working at the Baltimore Sun for 35 years, covering the city budget beat, then that's what she'll do. If that means that she has bylines all over the New York Times, then that's what she does. But she's going to be the best she could possibly be. Scott is so concerned with advancement that he can't be concerned with the one thing that is the most important, which is doing his job thoroughly, truthfully, and honestly. Yeah, he doesn't want to do the work. And that right there is something that has aged the best. I can't tell you how many times when I was working at TMZ and there would be athletes that would hit me up, right? Because I was on the sports desk. There'd be athletes that hit me up like, man, I just need a little bit of, you know, and these typically would be athletes that were in individual sports, like boxers, skateboarders, people like that. And they would hit me up and be like, yo, man, how can I get, you know, how can I get on TMZ? How can I do, do this like that? And I'd be like, it's easy. You can win some fights because once you are actually viable, once you're actually good and people are coming out to see you, we're going to cover you. Don't matter who you are. Like it, it, I'm talking Floyd. I'm talking Charlo. I'm talking Terrence Crawford. I'm talking Triple G. Like what you don't even have to be at that level. If, if you we will cover you. But so if you focus on your craft and actually go in the ring and get busy, then you're covering. If you're asking me to make you something without you actually having made yourself something, I'm telling you that's not going to happen. And Scott's way of doing this is not to call some celebrity news dude at some place and say, yo, catch me walking out of BOA, you know what I mean, with an Instagram model. His way of doing it is to lie. His way of doing it is to cook the books. Just like Burrell is juking the stats, he's juking the stats. The only the only uh, difference is he's working in a place where he, besides Gus, uh, is impervious to oversight. Nobody is telling him what he should and shouldn't be doing. So the, tra- the tragedy of him is he's the type of guy that makes his peers uh, worse, makes the newspaper worse, and makes himself worse. Yeah, and and it's a reason why people don't trust the media. Like when you right. have people like him, uh, and don't believe that uh, in what they read. You know, the 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 other thing, and I'm glad you did point that out. Is like reminding people that like, oh, <laughs> you know, white dudes wrote this, so it, he's not just a disservice to the people of color in the newsroom who work really hard, 
um, to try to advance. And then there, there often opportunities are stunted or blocked by somebody like Scott Templeton. Because remember, remember, it was the other lady that was going, no, po- no quote to the kid, huh? Right. Huh. Exactly. And so, well, and- I was comparing the two to, to also Twig. Because yeah. Twig is a, a seasoned veteran, amazing reporter, mm-hmm. and realize he's been late. He's or he had uh, or was forced into a situation of where he had to accept a role on the copy desk, right, or have to leave the newspaper just so that they could have a Scott Templeton who's right. like who can't carry his notepad when it comes to reporting, and that's and that's obvious. But yeah, I mean, it, it is also white people who snuff out his bullshit and realize, like, this dude is not what they think he is. But some of, of, of how that happens is because, you know, editors in top position, you know, you have other white men looking at this guy and being like, oh, he's just like one of us. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I see myself in him and all that. Right. And that's how he winds up continuing to have his shortcomings overlooked, explained, or rationalized. Now, right. one thing I did wonder, and I didn't know if this probably fit in the category of a we love this show, but now considering how Gus has been kind of, he hasn't outright said it, but certainly after that opening day story, Gus was clearly thinking he had made this up. Yes. When he gets the fabricated quote, you know, that is, anytime a quote is that damn good and too good to be true, as a ed- like any editor is going to question that. So that that goes without saying. Unless you, you know, if, if Twig would have put that into him, he probably wouldn't have questioned it because mm-hmm. he's a seasoned guy. But I'm actually surprised, given the fact that Gus used to work uh, City Hall as a reporter, that he did not call Norris or somebody in City Hall to see, was this actually said? I'm actually I, shocked at that. I thought about that. And I can only think about one instance that actually happened to where I was almost in a, the same situation, right? Van Lathan Sidebar. Van Lathan Sidebar. There's a story. I'm not going to tell you what the story was about, but it was a story where I had to call a bunch of different places and get their opinions on something that was happening around the World Cup. Then you come back and I bring the story. And it's a story I had done before. It's a story that you could really do every time there's a big incident like that. Every time there's a big international incident, there's one specific profession that makes a ton of money, okay? In whatever city that's in. So if it's in Arizona, there's one group of ladies in Arizona that's going to make a ton of money with all of the people that are coming into town. If it's in Rio... Is it like the Super Bowl or I'm the Olympics? About, or either, either one of them. Okay. If it's in Rio, then there's a bunch of ladies down in Rio right. who are in a specific profession that are going to make a whole lot of money. Sex workers, right? Yes, right, yes. right. I did, I did a story about sex workers for the Olympics in 04 because right. they have so, legal barthels. Yes, this is Right, true. so all you do is it takes a little legwork if it's a place, if it's a foreign place. You call around to a bunch of different places. You ask them what they're doing, how they're expecting to deal with this, and blah, 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 yeah. blah, boom, you got yourself a story. Well, I did that. Um, and it was a little hard to understand some of the, the 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 talk because obviously it was like in Portuguese or something like that. And there was somebody that was like, I want to see your notes on this and, and, you know, and give the names of all of these places to somebody else. And I was like, two things happened. One, I was like, I don't even care about this job enough to make this up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I was like, well, secondly, like, cool. So I did it. And then they called around. And the trust between me and that person was broken forever. 
because it, it, it the, the trust between me and them, it like it, that's kind of some of the things that start to go off in my head. Like you know, I'm kind of don't give a fuck anymore because I had seen way more fantastic scores get the great job right up. But you know, maybe I was newer to the desk, or whatever. So I was like, I was like, cool. And there had to be a whole conversation around it. That became a whole big deal. Like we just want to make sure that we don't put in because they care. They don't want to put anything up on there that's not true or anything like that. So they care. But I, for a long time, took that personally. For a long time, I was like, you're going to, like, like seriously? Because it takes a long time to, like, all day long, especially because you got to do it in the early morning, call to fucking Brazil. Yeah. You know what I mean? It takes a long time. Like, you put a lot of work into that, and you think, boom, boom, let's pull this right up. And I've done it before, and it was, like, weird. So when I saw that scene, I thought about that, and I thought, maybe the only reason why he doesn't pick up the phone and call Norris is because if he does that, and it somehow gets back out throughout the newsroom that he went behind one of his guys, and I don't know how it works in the, in the conventional newsroom, and maybe you can tell me, then maybe you start a bigger fire than you would have by just running the piece. So I like so I I don't know, but maybe you could tell me. No, that that's fair actually, uh, because he would have to be concerned about that. I will say this: if it's an explosive quote, and your editors will ask you who said it, they'll be mm -hmm. like, "Okay, just so we know," because they're worried about getting sued. They're worried right. about like if we face any liability, like they'll go to the mattress for the source. Like they're never going right. to give that up. But you know, Scott's response was not irrational in the sense like, nah, I don't feel comfortable doing that because what if y'all sell me out? If Because, you know, this is a corporation you're dealing with. And he's like, if the heat gets too hot and some, and they come at you like, no, you know, this wasn't said. And then you say, all right, well, ask such and such, you know, he or she said it. Then, you, you know, you as a reporter, you're supposed to protect, you know, your sources. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what the job is about. But I just, I wondered if for his, uh, considering the thoughts he'd already had, See, your story makes sense why you would be pissed because you didn't have, you didn't raise any suspicion in any other realm for them to justify trying to see if you had made up some quotes. Right. This guy did because he literally mm. just gave you a story. Fair. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That kind of didn't check all the boxes. Like, okay, um, you know, we don't have any record of this guy getting shot. All right. He's, you know, he has no family, essentially. Like, eh, mm -hmm. this seems like a, a little dicey. No pictures that you can right. get of him. Like, it just, the circumstances just seem too dicey. Um, but, you know, if you're a reporter, and depending on where you're working and how they do things, like, being asked that question uh, is not necessarily offensive. It, it reminded me, I did a big story about what would happen for the Atlantic uh, that was in the magazine. Was it this year? I think it might've been, I think it was this year. This year has felt like 20 years. So it's hard for me to keep time together. Right. But um, uh, I did a piece about what would happen if black college uh, or if black college or black college. Know prospects, it well. Fantastic yeah, piece. Thank you. If they went to start going to HBCUs, rebuilding mm -hmm. the sports tradition there. And I interviewed a kid out of uh, who's who plays for Oregon. He was the number one recruit in the country. And he took a visit to FAMU. And it was huge news when he took the visit. And uh, I think his name is Kayvon Thibodeau. So I'm talking to him and interviewing him. And yeah, he yeah, from uh, Kayvon Thibodeau from right here uh, in California. Yeah, I think but so. pissed me off by way of Louisiana. As yeah. soon as I saw the name <laughs> you <knew>. Kayvon Thibodeau, <laughs> I was like, there's no way that nigga from the Valley. 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's, like you know even the mean? roots had to be had yeah. to be Louisiana. So I looked him up, and we didn't get we didn't get him. But now he's at Oregon. He's raising hell up there right now. Yeah, so he's at Oregon. Yeah. But the quote that he gave me was, you know, he he was like, I love HBCUs, but when I look at their facilities, you know, I got filet mignon. Why should I go to McDonald's? That was like his. Mm. It, that was you know basically his exact quote. Great right. quote, right? right? But when I turned the story in and after it had been through a round or two of editing, we got in a good place. They wanted to know. They go and I gave them a list of who all I talked to. And that quote, he he said he didn't say that. (laughs) <laughs> or he didn't say it like that because it is right. you know it's a great quote but it is kind of harsh you know it's what I'm a saying? fucking diss yeah right it's a diss right but mm-hmm. he said that right mm-hmm. and so they were just like you know we need your notes on this and I was like oh no he definitely said that so right. I'm just going back going back like I, and I tend to throw notepads everywhere I did um it it took me a few days I did find the notepad I was like boom here it is I sent him screenshots here he said it. And um and they were apologetic about it. I was like, look, I got no reason to to stake my whole career on a on an eighteen year old. Like, I don't right. give a fuck about him. Like, and I'm definitely not gonna do that for that. But like, he literally said this, and so um I think they they wound up running it. I was like, and if he mad, he just mad. That's just what it is. But because that also definitely happens as well. Is like people people say things, and then when it appears in print or they know it is, then suddenly they're just like, oh shit, that's gonna hit. That's gonna land harder than I thought. Okay, so. Do you know how at TMZ, if you watch now, you see uh, most of the stories we do have an accompanying FaceTime interview with them? If you go on the site and you see where someone says, for example, I'll give you an example of something. I'm going to break something down for you guys that you did not know. In a way, I greatly contributed to the, the Lonzo Ball, LeVar Ball whole deal. Greatly contributed to it. I don't know if we've ever talked about this before. No, we all have right. not. I'm all in. All right. This is a this is the sidebar. The other <laughs> thing that was a false start sidebar. This, <laughs> this is, is the sidebar. The sidebar. <laughs> right. So, um, I, I have a friend that I used to play league basketball with named Chris. He went to Chino Hills. Around the time that I was watching these kids since they were babies, right? Because at first it was they were they were a threesome package. It was the three of them, right? <laughs> the three it was a trifecta. These are the Ball brothers, right? These are the Ball brothers. Uh, it was Lil Lamelo, and then it was Leangelo, and then it was and they were all playing together. And at that point, I was still obsessed with Lamelo because he was a freshman and he was running with the varsity. But over time, throughout the year before this interview happened. It was Lonzo that started to separate himself, right? He became the best player uh, in California, one of the best players in high school. He went on to UCLA, had a great freshman season where for some reason he could shoot like 75% from the line. The line is the same 15 feet that it was <laughs> at, at, at UCLA. And I don't know what happened, but, you know, it's a bigger, bigger stage. And so I decided, hey, you know what? I had read in a smaller... A sort of local paper about how bombastic LeVar Ball was. And I was like, I want to talk to LeVar Ball. So I called my friend Chris. I was like, yo, put me in touch with LeVar Ball. Chris put me in touch with someone else who was running all LeVar's stuff who ended up falling out with LeVar Ball. Remember the guy with the $2.5 million and all of that oh, stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Alan. Alan. So he put, Chris put me in touch with Alan. Alan then put me in touch with LeVar Ball and we decided we're going to go ahead and do an interview. 
So we do the interview. And I remember I'm doing, uh, I'm doing, because um, I think this is after uh, LaMelo had scored like 92 points in a game or something like this. And I'm doing all types of research on Lonzo, just about what people are saying and all of that stuff like that, but more projecting him to go to the NBA because at this point, it's in like February or something like that. And it's obvious that he's going to the NBA uh, and he's going to be a big deal. Like he's going to be a one and done. He's going to the NBA. And I see this video and it might still be on YouTube. Everybody look this video up. And the video says, Lonzo Ball, 6'5", Steph Curry with bounce. That's what the video says. Okay. And, it was, and it was showing everyone how Lonzo Ball was basically a 6'5", Steph Curry. So when I see that, I think headline. I go into every interview thinking about the headline I already want. Uh, that, that, that's the way I would do it. I already think about the headline I want. So I'm thinking the question here is, yo, do you think that your son can be as good as Steph Curry? And I remember I asked him that. And he says, hell no. My son is going to be better than Steph Curry. I totally remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and, and I was like, and he was like, Steph Curry can't do what my son can do. And I'm, and I'm looking around. I'm like, yes, yeah, good. tell me more, LeVar. <laughs> and he just goes ham. And that is really the moment. That's the moment that he kind of took off like that. Because that, because, and we held that interview for a while. Like we, we did that, we did that interview, right? But we held that interview for a while, I think maybe like two weeks. And it was only after Lonzo went crazy, I think in the Pac-12 tournament or something like that, or maybe after LaMelo scored the 92 points or something like that, that we decided that we would release the interview, right? We held it for like a week because it wasn't, it was evergreen. It wasn't super topical. All I had to do right. was write it and put it in. My point by saying all of that though, is that, if that would have been just me on the phone with him and I would have put that quote out and he would have not liked the response, it would have been, now LeVar would have never done this, it would have been exceedingly easy for him to say that he never said that. Yeah, that's true. And we, and we had had a couple of people at TMZ that we had run, run, we had run stories and then they would come back and go, nah, I never said that. To make themselves look good on Twitter, well, meanwhile, we know what they said. So the reason why you see those little FaceTime clips at the bottom is obviously to put a, a nice video asset with it, but it started to become a thing that every phone interview you did, it had to be a FaceTime. Yeah, I mean, it, it had to be proof. a FaceTime. It gives you proof. Just yeah. so somebody couldn't back up on you. Mm. You know what I mean? So that, so that ended up being a whole thing at TMZ. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great sidebar. But, but be honest <laughs> with me. Y'all can kind of think of this. And this is kind of the unsung hero shit. In a way, I kind of, and by the way, still my people. I still got the big baller brand slides over there too. Still my people. Not you actually got them in the mail? Well, he gave them to me. Oh, he got, he had to personally deliver those to you. Yeah, he, they, he gave them to me. Yeah. Because ain't no way you it. ordered them shits and they came. <laughs> right. Think, uh, like, like, think about it. I, that was the moment. I kind of put LeVar Ball on a little bit. Be real. That's fair. That's fair. I, I, that's a fair. A little you bit. You did. I kind of put him on a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Van, you, you know what? Take your bow. You deserve that. 
That's all. Thank it. you. Yes. Yes. Lamelo, good luck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, but that is, uh, you know, that that's good inside intel for people who are watching episode three to understand, you know, that there is there's a fact checking process that happens at at most media outlets, and you know, it is not the Scott Templeton situation. I mean, we've certainly seen where there have been reporters like in your situation that you talked about, Van, where you're just like, mm-hmm. oh, so suddenly you don't trust me? You know, that, that's that's been one way. And then there are other reporters who have deserved, you know, that scrutiny. Because all you have in the business really is is your credibility and your reputation. That's, that's all you got. And so mm-hmm. that's why, like, you know, fabricating. Um, and when you see those fabrications, why they are should be taken so seriously. Because uh, mm-hmm. as we see, information can be can be weaponized. And so... In Scott's case, he makes up this bombastic quote and it it, it potentially, I mean, it, it has such a ricochet effect that it's, it's yeah. <laughs> you know, it makes Daniel's life a living hell for a little bit. It puts in a resong blast and she didn't even say this shit, you know, so... Yeah, uh, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, damn, I was like, Narice caught a stray. Like, it was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it throws city government in a flux just because he, he made... Uh, some shit up. So, you know, I I think that his character, even though we both agree that the the newspaper storyline is a is is maybe not the best fit, a little bit beaten to death, probably getting a little bit too much time in some of these episodes. You know, his role in terms of furthering that that distrust in the media that people have is is certainly um you know a very a very real one. Yeah, a real thing. Also, I I just want to point out a smaller thing, and we can move on. You know how much audacity it takes for you, okay? And I, I say this, look, this ain't even a humble brag, but when I was in college, I was one of the best journalists in America. I'm not a college journalist in America, okay? okay. This is not right. a humble brag. I right. would glad you really my, gladly read my resume off to those. This so, is an episode where we talking our shit. We talking, our, that's right. Van put LeVar Ball on, and I was right. one of the best college journalists. We talking our shit. We yeah. talking our shit, that's right. 2020, Humbleness that left us a long time ago. So, in college, I had I had four internships. You know, I had uh, I interned at the Lima News, uh, the Detroit Free Press, the Philadelphia Inquirer. Well, I had a total of five internships. But when I applied for what I'm about to I applied for, I had four four pretty strong mm-hmm. ones. Lima right. News started internship. Understand that went to the Free Press, one of the largest daily papers. Uh, in the country, Philadelphia Inquirer interned at the Plain Dealer in Cleveland, largest paper in Ohio. So mm. I thought I was in perfect position to roll up in the Washington Post, right? Mm. As an intern, let me make right. that clear. So, you know, I got these four internships under my belt. I'm at Michigan State. We have the largest college daily in the country. We've won numerous awards for best college daily. I'm like, I know I'm about to get this shit. This is mine, right? Mm-hmm. Post was like, mm, nah. And I was, and I was, pissed about it or whatever. And then when their intern list came out, I just got seated because I see what they were doing. It was like all uh, everybody who were everybody who was on the, the intern list when it came out of like people who had gotten it went to Brown, Yale, Harvard, University of Michigan. Like, I see how y'all do. OK, right. got you. All right. OK. Some of them did not have as much experience as me. All right. I'm not going to hate, but I'm going to write that shit down, put it in my back pocket. Right. So knowing how, like, the post is not an easy place to get into. So mm-hmm. I had to have, I was just r- laughing uproariously. This motherfucker actually thought, as in Scott Templeton, 
that he was going <laughs> to be at the Wichita Eagle, then the Kansas City Star, two years at the Sun where he's broken no major stories, and then just walk up in the Washington Post. I was like, ain't this a bitch? Do you really right. think right. the Washington told Post? Him, told him to take his name tag off and throw it in the garbage. Exactly. <laughs> that treatment he got that. is the exact treatment that he should have got. And it just, um, unfortunately, sent me back to that bitter place where mm-hmm. I had to be like, oh, I remember Washington Post. You I forgot. The, you are the original Scott Templeton, making up quotes <laughs> nah, and, getting, no. and getting dissed by the Post. <laughs> Oh, no. That was not me. I be shout out to Kayvon. Shout out to Kayvon Thibodeau. I know you ain't say that, big dog. <laughs> <He said> that <laughs> I was like, yeah, we get this, but you know, everything comes full circle. And I'll just say, you know, when when I became a free agent, the Post was one of the papers who were interested. Uh, a free agent, as when I left ESPN, the Post was one of the papers who were interested in securing my services. Mm. Uh, of which I told them, hell no. no. I'm just kidding. It wasn't like that. Uh, I just wasn't going to fit what I was doing. But anyway, uh, yeah, that was like, that was some nerve. I was like, he just really, really went up in the Washington Post. He lucky he got an interview. I'm be He had to know somebody. He is really lucky he even got an interview. So anyway, Scott Templeton upholding white mediocrity. Keep going, bro. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Way Down in the Hole. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like, me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Ha <laughs> ha. 
now, man, let's talk about some of the best scenes and moments from this episode. What do you got? Obviously, the ending scene, Omar in Paradise. Omar back. Omar with the uh, little, you know, the, the hat and the, you know, they got the little Hawaiian shirt. Like <laughs> I, I like it. The whole I'm nine. saying. Uh, it, it makes me very sad. That's a very sad scene, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's sad because he, you know, he he had yeah. carved out a life. Although there was a part of me thinking, like, every place Omar, why Omar steals a lot of drug money? He put together mm-hmm. a nice little stash. Why mm-hmm. he always look like he's staying in a trap house, a version of the trap house that he actually robbed? Because he's trying to make the money last. I thought about that too. Also trying to be low key. You All know right. what I mean? Like, yeah, like I think because right. I, I when I looked at that place, I'm like, that's not like the type of place I would think that an Omar would be in. Yeah. But maybe he don't want the whole villa and stuff like that. And plus, how much did Omar leave with? Couldn't have been more than $3 million, right? Something like that. So I mean, you, depending on where you go, that could really, that could stretch. Oh, no, that's, a, I, that's oh, it. No, I mean, you could, you could easily make it last. I mean, yeah, three, $3 million in some of those places. Yeah, you could easily, easily make it last. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, you know, you might if you want to make it last, maybe you don't go get the villa. Although, if you get the villa... If you take a, a million and you buy yourself something, then it goes up in price. You might be able to flip it. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> Omar in Paradise, I love. Yep. Obviously, Butchie's death scene. Mm. Very hard to watch, but, you know, crazy. You don't have to be messy. Ain't no other way I can see that. Grab my Omar. When word gets to Omar, make sure he hear everything. Is it my imagination or do they make Chris and Snoop's... I mean, there's sporadic violence throughout this series, but they seem to have made their scenes when they kill people so much worse. Is that yeah. my imagination or? No, yeah, because like yeah. it's not because a lot of the murders are execution style. Mm. You know, uh, before you don't see them kind of ride by, drive by, pop off in the corner. They do that too. But some of the murders you see them with are their execution style. They're very up close and personal. They have an intimate way of killing people, Chris and Snoop do. Lester, Bunk, and McNulty, where Bunk thought that Lester was going to talk McNulty out of it. So you string together Barlow's murder and Cole's unconnected case in yours, which is natural to begin with. Instant serial killer. If you don't want to listen to your partner, then listen to Lester. He has all the wisdom you need, boy. Nah, you fucked up. Yeah? Tell him! You know, I mean, if you want to do it right, a straight-up strangle's not enough. Give people what they want from a serial killer. Lester, what the fuck? No, you're onto something. Who gives a damn if we fake a couple of murders that we're never going to solve, huh? I'm out of here. That's one of the great turns in the history of the show. When Bunk realizes that he doesn't have Lester on his side. I fucking love, love that scene. The Six Flags scene, I think, is a precious scene. It is. Yeah, that's the last bastion of, of Mike's childhood right there. That's yep. that's it. That's the last of it that we're going to see. And if you think about it, I mean, we're kind of, the clock is running out on how many, how many times we see Daquan happy too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The scene where they gather everybody around there's nothing I love more in a newsroom than a good all staff. <laughs> right. Every time there was an all staff, I would look around and you can see assholes puckered whenever there was an all staff. Remember, it was one time somebody sent the wrong email. This was a funny one. Someone sent an email and it said, this, they sent this email, all staff. 
all staff, when I say all staff, I'm not talking about just to your department. I'm not talking about, they, they sent an all staff email and the email says, young girl rides large cock. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I shit you not. I mean, was this a company with like a... It was a, a company. video or something. It was a company. It was accompanied by a picture of Doherty Explorer riding on the back of a chicken, and it said, <laughs> "It said young girl rides large cock," and it was it was Doherty Explorer riding on the back of a chicken. That was sent all <laughs> staff. Was it well, an I, accident? I say, or... Hold on for a second. Just I want y'all to understand what all staff means. That means everybody that works in the in Entire company. Oh, that's no. like people at WB. Oh, that's like no. that's like it, it, that's like all staff. And and I remember I'm in there and I'm like, yo, because I didn't see it, I didn't get a chance to read the email. And then uh, it was actually Mike Babcock. Shout out to Mike who clicked it for me and and um and brought it up for me. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, no fucking way he did. I'm like, no way. And we're having an all-staff, and that's the best all-staff in the history of TMZ. And the reason why it is is because everybody knows who's getting dressed down, but they're not saying specifically. They're and they're and they're and it's like it's it's so subliminal. This is being thrown out. It's like, and by the way, you're not funny. You're not funny, and you've never been funny. For people who think <laughs> that do this, you've never been funny. You're not. Funny, so we're the uh, the email the email thread is not for distasteful, disgusting jokes from unfunny people. And this, I'm watching this guy as he's getting his ass ranged, and I'm like, oh shit! And um, it's just funny. And so in in that all staff scene, it's just everybody gets together, and unless it's the holidays, and the holidays, the all staff might be about what days we gonna get off. The all staff might be about the Christmas party. But if it's any other time, if it's a random fucking March or uh, August, something bad's about to happen. And so, and so, like, and so when when I saw everybody drag themselves to that all staff, it was very familiar. I love that scene. That's a top five van late the sidebar right there. That's a that top happened. five. That's a top five. When I say that that happened, <laughs> I, I made up. I made up nothing. <laughs> God. They, and and he, he didn't get the person who did that did not get fired. No, nope. eventually, but not then. Not not because of that. And okay. I think he might have left. That's that's my man. <laughs> he was one of the coolest guys ever. Just made an error of judgment. I don't. I still don't know how. I think he might have. I think he might have left. I don't think he. I think his contract was up and he just left. But that was kind of the last straw of of him being like a big deal. Because after that. He, he after that he was like fuck it they were like fuck it and I love it when it gets to that when it gets between an employee the only thing I miss about working in the office is when it gets between an employee and an organization to where each side is like fuck it but nobody can quite fire like you can't leave and they can't quite fire you yet it's so fun to watch <laughs> it's it's so fun to watch I've had people I've had people I've seen people where they 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 write stuff and they'll read the copy and they'll be like Oh, this needs to be written. I'm going to give this back to you. And I'm like, and, then, and and not me, but they're like, no, go ahead and rewrite it. That's all you. <laughs> and, they're, and they're like, no, I'm going to give it back to you. No, 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 you got it. Go ahead. Like, I, I, I really gave it my best shot. You take it. 
That's all you. And then you just see somebody banging on the keyboard. You know <laughs> Mad saying? as fuck. Mad as fuck. Banging on the keyboard. Motherfucker. Uh, anyway, so I like that scene. Uh, the best scene, though, to me is Marlo and Prop Jump. There's 400 in your own account down in the islands. There's no hurricane, Department of Justice, or nigga with a gun can tap that. I even know it's there. You check it online anytime you like. On a computer? If I can't hold it in my hand. All right. You got any prior convictions? Yeah, nothing that rate. We get you a passport then. Take a trip. Ain't easy civilizing this motherfucker. But let me tell you, though. Like, you want to talk about something that age... I, I won't say it aged the best, but it ages better than you think it does. Mm. There are people who are not drug dealers who do have kind of I-need-to-feel-it-in-my-hands mentality. Oh, I remember, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, like, one of the funniest stories my former uh, co-host, Michael Smith, told me was that when he met his wife about how she completely got him and his finances in, in order because he was doing shit. Well, he wasn't paying his bills on time for no reason other than just being trifling. But right. he had basically, he was, like, keeping money, not in shoeboxes, but, like, he was just keeping it around the house. And she like, right. don't you believe in a bank? Like, what right. are you doing? And, you know, because he was one of those, uh, also from Louisiana. Not from, from New Orleans. Orleans. From, from New Orleans. Orleans. But, I mean, I know, I was about to say, I used to keep mine in the top drawer. Right. He, he yeah. uh, as he used to call it, I wasn't broke, but I had a broke mentality. And, yeah. and so there are people, you know, who still do that. I mean, like, occasionally I actually have to go into the bank. You know, here and there. And so whenever I go in the bank, my one of my girls is like, I mean, what are you, over 65? Like, you got drug mm -hmm. money? Like, who the fuck goes right. to a bank anymore? It's I'm true. like, I'm, I sometimes have to go to a bank. But all that being said, of the many things to love about that scene is the fact that it shows that for as big of a deal as Marlo is in Baltimore, he, like, much like um, the kids when they went to Ruth Chris, he mm -hmm. does not understand the world around him like yes right. there's a thing called a computer right there's the internet you can mm -hmm. actually look at the money you have and you know he's so distrustful of everything he's like so i can go down there and just like see it right and it's just like mm -hmm. yeah motherfucker, it's your buddy you know so yeah. it was just it's just realizing that marlo for as big of a deal that he is like there's certain things he's he just still green nothing. on some he's stuff. very green on a lot of things mm -hmm. for sure and you know not to mention that it's amazing that prop joe who is so good at seeing the angles and understanding the agendas of everybody is not able to see that he is literally walking the devil closer to him. Yeah, uh, I got yeah. I, I got that on I got that in the next category. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so were those all the the best scenes and moments that you had? Or Everything you? I had, yeah. All right, so for me, uh, I had of course McNulty sexing old girl down on the roof of his car. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I love that he shows his badge and then he's, he keeps going. That's what right. it is. Like, there's no shame. I mean, great, right. he's, he's very drunk when this happens, but... I'm a, I'm a cop, so I can fuck people outside. It's crazy. <laughs> right, exactly. When um, Ashley Larry testified before the grand jury and used the word criminate, mm -hmm. criminate. Criminate. Shout out Donnell Rollins. Donnell Rollins, doing his best. Also loved it when Twig showed up, Scott, after being fed the tip that Carcetti was looking at Daniels to replace Burrell. Take that, Scott Templeton. Yeah, for sure. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Mm -hmm. Like, I know everybody. I mean, he knew Daniels. He, I mean, he's right, shit. He, he basically knew what Daniels got on his third grade reporter, uh, report yeah. card. That's a reporter, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> knowing everything about your beat. 
Also, when Daniels was, uh, it was interesting to me that Daniels went to his ex-wife with, with the situation that he was in. I mean, yeah. not altogether surprising because there's still an allyship that's there. But I thought she gave him some terrible advice, by the way. Like, when she's like, well, then you have to tell him that you won't take the job, that you don't want his chair. It's like, what? That doesn't right. make no sense. And in those moments, you are able to see kind of the difference between her and, and Ronnie. And Ronnie. Yeah, like, it's definitely a difference. Like, when Ronnie, and I think they did that on purpose, like, when Ronnie heard that, saw or read, rather, that he was being floated as a replacement, she was like, shit, it don't matter. Like, this is good news. Right. And Daniels was more worried about how this might be perceived and his loyalty and all that other kind of stuff. Like, it, it seems like he takes those problems to his ex-wife because not only because she understands it maybe a little bit better, but he struggles to be politically ruthless. Mm -hmm. Like he, he definitely struggles in this. Like he's still figuring out how to be savvy. I also thought it was a good scene when Twig and uh, Gus were waxing poetic about what they love about newspapers and what they mean to them uh, when they were in the bar. Cause it reminded me of the reason I got into newspapers and wanted to be a reporter, which was, uh, I got pulled in just by the simple fact that in those days, when you want to to learn about your favorite sports team or keep up a, a, about them, you had to read the newspaper. And so mm. there was nothing I looked forward to um, on the days when I could access the paper is reading the sports section. And I would read it from cover to cover. And even mm. all the stats that were in the back, it's called agate. You know, um, when you read, you know, you could, I could read a box score and tell you what happened in the game. Like, I can easily visualize what happened. Like, oh, okay. Barry Bonds was two for three. Okay. Four RBIs. Okay. All right. Got that. Boom, boom, boom. So it just made me nostalgic about those days. So those are just a couple of things. Oh, also, I forgot. Uh, Alma, when McNulty tries, his a little lame attempt to hit oh, on her. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What kind of name is Alma? I have a boyfriend, detective. Yeah? You bigger than me? Really, McNulty? You better than right. that. You're better right. than that. <laughs> I've seen mm -hmm. I, I've seen you a little more smoother than that. Like now you're just getting lazy. Right, right. Okay. now that was that was actually like Harvey Weinstein Nolte. Oh yeah, like, that, was like, yeah that was like, is he bigger than me? Okay, this dick talk already. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like it. literally, how you gonna hand mm. me a scoop and then be like, by the way, my dick? It's like, come on, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are we doing? <laughs> by the way, my dick. Yeah. So what's what's wrong with you? Nolte? What's wrong with Relax. this dude? I know. Like, uh, you know, I mean, but unfortunately, if you're um, Female reporter, you are you are used to this uh, this unfortunate scenario that takes place, mm. and he did that totally sober or mostly sober, at right. least not as drunk because we don't right. you know. Um, McNulty likes to take a, a, a nip. Um, speaking of which, I'm out of Hennessy. Anyway, that was some of the best scenes and moments we like from episode three. Now let's talk about what age the best man training your replacement. They would have me to have you come in a job and they ask you, "Hey, this young whippersnapper's got a bright look in his eye. Why don't you show him the ropes?" And all of a sudden, you're showing him the ropes, and all of a sudden, he takes them ropes that you showed him and hang you with them bitches. Mm -hmm. So that is what Prop Joe does not realize that he is doing. Nope. He thinks that, and he is completely misjudged Marlo. He thinks that Marlo, in some way, is going to be indebted to him or appreciative of him for this. He doesn't realize he is actually training his replacement. Yeah. Uh, and he's giving mm. Marlo every single tool that he needs to go along and do that. So I'm not saying don't reach out to the younger whippersnappers, but I'm saying back in the cut, when Brett Favre was hesitant to bring Aaron Rodgers under his wing and teach him the game, I was like, I get it. And now when Aaron Rodgers is hesitant 
to take the boy from Utah. What's his name? Jordan Love or somebody or something like that and take him under his wing. He should for the team. I get it. But at the same time, I get it. Who wants mm. to train their replacement? Um, Nobody. Yeah. Right. And furloughs and job cuts, unfortunately, age very, very well yep. in the time that we're in right now. Job cuts, buyouts, all of those things age particularly well. I hope that we are not in these times too much longer. Yeah. And especially in that industry, they really age well. And, you know, Gus said something that uh, I, I think I explained in the previous podcast, but it got it, it, it was more succinct when they announced these buyouts and he raised his hand and said, how is it? that the newsroom is more profitable than ever, but we're making cuts. And that was mm -hmm. really the quintessential reason why so many newspapers start to have so many layoffs and buyouts and that kind of thing. They took the record years of profit margin to be the standard. And mm -hmm. every year it was a fight and a battle and bloodletting to continue to try to reach what were always unrealistic profit margins. So you clear profit margins at 15%, which were highly ridiculous. And every year, killing yourselves to make that 15%, meaning letting go more valuable reporters like Twig, which does your readership a disservice because suddenly they're not as informed, the stories aren't as good, and it's a, a trickle-down effect. So yes, that aged well. What I had as the best thing that I thought that aged well is when Alma and the Black reporter next to her, when they were talking about, first of all, what she did, something I've definitely done before and something people should realize is is that people who are, work in newspapers particularly reporter we don't pay reporters we never pay for subscriptions mm -hmm. like we <laughs> we like we cheap as hell like oh my god like i would not get a, a paper at all like i just like wait till i got to the office i'm like <laughs> i gotta look like getting a home subscription like for what i'm right. like whatever and then you know one of my friends if they like yo i need a copy of the paper hey you need that sunday i got you because that i got that, you dog i got you know because sunday papers have the coupons in them and so, mm -hmm. and usually though that some version of that Sunday paper would be ready early. And so right. I'd be like, yeah, sweet, I'll get you one, you know, whatever. Like, nah, you don't ever pay for the paper. But what you do do is that when you have a front page story or a story that's getting big play, it's hard, like at least early on in the game, you will run down or run to like uh, a store or run to the closest newspaper box and try to get a copy of that story. Like you just want to mm. see it. Uh, something about seeing your name, your byline that just, you know, really invigorates you. But nevertheless, when they were talking about how if, you know, three white people had been killed in a home invasion, how that shit would have been front page news, plastered Absolutely. everywhere, a national story. And, you know, you got three black people who are, and that shit is like buried inside the paper. That ages incredibly well, okay? Yep. That is the case. It's like, yeah, you, you know, uh, when black people die or are killed, that shit is like, oh, okay, what's the weather today, right? The jo the Joker had the best deal, and I remember Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. Joker's like, if I tell you right now that three Marines get blown up in Fallujah, IED, nobody bats an eye. If I tell you that two gangbangers get lit up on the south side, nobody cares. Why? Because that's a part of the plan. Mm. But one little old mayor. And the whole city turns on his head. And I, I just, boy, that's such a well-written movie. The Joker was wise, man. <laughs> oh, no, the Joker, the Joker was dropping like, bars. The Joker was dropping bars. Now, you know, he's also a homicidal maniac, you know. Uh, but the Joker was dropping bars, man. Just yes. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. Uh, Though, coincidentally, Dark Knight Rises was on last night. And I, I never turned it away when that's on. It's so yeah. it's it, between all of the Batmans, uh, uh, the Christopher Nolan ones, I should be mm -hmm. specific. Dark Knight Rises is the most quotable one. Well, just because of Bane. It's like, Bane, every line is yeah. just so golden. Yeah. It's just so, it's, it's incredible. You fight uh, like a younger man. 
like you weren't even mad when he broke Batman's back. It was no, like, I, I, I literally, I've never felt so bad for a superhero. I felt so bad for Batman. <laughs> I felt so bad for Batman. You think darkness is your ally? <laughs> You've merely adopted the dark. I, I was, was born, born in it. In it. <laughs> when I saw the light for the first time, it was blinding, and then beats the shit out of him again. <laughs> I only like it's like it, it, just talking that shit as it's he's so... whipping Batman's ass. And now I shall break you. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but do I you love, feel in charge? <laughs> do you? And, and just gently lays his hand on, on the guy. Do, do you so feel mean. in charge? <laughs> you think oh, that gives I, you? Control over me? <laughs> it's so many in this. And we right. give it all to you. Um, right. Anyway, all right. Um, so those are what aged the best. Now let's talk about what aged the worst. Did you have anything that uh, you thought aged poorly? Uh, Nolte getting that Alma like that and just straight up bringing up his dick aged terribly. Yeah. Like Alma goes right to the paper. That's that's she just he just gave her a story. At this point, Alma, <laughs> the story like, of this detective harassing me, sexually uh, detective, harassing me. Hey, just let you know, Detective Jimmy McNulty and Jimmy Nolte would get like the small mugshot in the bottom right hand corner of the paper, in the metro section. Uh, uh, like a, a reporter accuses Jimmy McNulty of sexual harassment, right there. Um, and then you would do like research and find out, like through. Uh, you know, inter- he's got like 28 internal reviews pending. <laughs> right. The whole nine. The, the whole, whole nine. nine. Um, uh, Six Flags aged poorly just because I was on one of my long drives not too long ago and I was in Valencia. I'm not even going to lie. And I, everybody knows I have anxiety and depression issues, all that stuff like that. I drove by an empty Six Flags <laughs> and I cried. Wow. <laughs> like I drove like when you drive by Six Flags, when you drive by Six Flags in Valencia, right? You normally see, and I think that's one of the hardest times, hardest things about this time. You normally see like joy. You, you, you like you hear the screams of people, right? You hear like, ah, and you you hear the ah, you see people running around. And I just looked a big fucking loud still void That's nothing it. just 2020 it's almost as if the park itself had the virus the park was sick you mm. know what I mean it was just very and I'm like I looked and I'm like yo I'm driving I'm like shit nigga I'm a G but, <laughs> that don't I bother mean, me the messed up part is that if you were in Florida it'd be totally different cause Disney's Disney World's wide open Mickey walking around with a slight cough but <laughs> So Six Flags, the Six Flags scene, just yeah. that's not existing right now where we are. That's aged pretty badly. Yeah, those are all good ones. I didn't really have anything from what aged the worst, but what you pointed out are all, were both two pretty good ones. Oh, we forgot a good scene. We forgot a great scene where Mike comes back to his corner and, um, and Monk oh, and checks Monk, him. Yeah, Monk checks him and he's like, man, later for this bullshit. And he's just like, the count is right. Yes, that right. was a good scene. And, and it's also, well, since we're going to do Fatherless Away for Laters now, it is also his... His questioning of Snoop and Chris, his growing d- dissatisfaction in his present job, mm-hmm. like those are big fathers away for later moments that are building towards something with Mike that is about mm-hmm. to take place. So that's sure. a great scene to point out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good one. A nice, di- nice dolphin, nigga. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I was like, damn. And then Bug is like, I'm oh, not Bug. I'm sorry. Then Bug is there. You know, like, looking like a kid who just came back from the music park. dressed up like Batman. Come I on, know. let him, let him it live. It was just like, let him just... That's mm-hmm. it for me. That's it for me. 
In terms of file this away for later, uh, what did you... Just real quick. I'm going to go through real quick. Mm-hmm. What'd you have? Obviously, when Cheese gives up Butchie, even though mm-hmm. that pays itself out, pays itself off as Butchie's death, but it also, it means something more for the entire organizational structure of staff. Well, just him, him ingratiating himself with Marlo's yeah, people, period. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting about that. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. The Red Ribbons. Yep. File this away for later moment. And... Scott getting fucked on that Daniel story with 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 our with our trips. It's trips, yes. right? Trips. It's trips or tips. What with uh you mean Twiggy? Twig? Yes, Twig showing up Templeton. That is the I mean Scott had already showed it, but now that was the moment that Scott went rogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he he I mean, there's something obviously people can sense his his general dissatisfaction. Uh, his attitude, his you know ambition is kind of getting the best of uh, him. All of all of these behaviors are definitely um, leading towards something. Uh, I'd also just add um, on the file this away for later tip. You know, prop Joe's decision not to tell Marlo that he knew how to get the drop on Omar. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's one along with Cheese's behavior. These become significant pieces to what later happens between with his relationship with Marlo. Okay, now on to some trivia. Sure. So. When McNulty was in the interrogation room as he is trying to figure out how he can best construct a fake serial killer, he notes, he says, good old brother Cole. He looks down and sees Raymond Cole's name having been the investigating officer on one of the homeless murders that he's trying to duplicate to try to prove that there's a serial killer. And that was a tribute, of course, to... Um, that was a tribute to Robert Colesbury, who uh, was playing um, Raymond Cole, and he died of cancer. Uh, and they had a funeral for him. I forget exactly what season uh, that it was, mm-hmm. but he was in eight, eight, uh, eight episodes. And, you know, he was somebody that was very beloved on set. So that was their way of paying tribute to him. And also along those same lines, uh, it, it was at uh, when Twig and and uh, Gus were at the bar and Twig starts quoting, you know, what sounds like he's quoting Shakespeare or whatever, somebody who's like an Englishman. <laughs> he's really quoting is H.L. Mencken, who is a legendary reporter uh, who and an author who used to write for the Baltimore Sun um, long, 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 long ass time ago. So I was like, there's sometimes a lot of nuances and especially even though David Simon is in many ways indicting the Baltimore Sun, it was very clear. It's very clear that he loved working there, you know, because yeah. I think that's why he took his, you know, what happened there. And, and and for that matter, what happened to a lot of reporters there, that's why he took it so as personally as he did. And that kind of comes through in a lot of the things that he has written about um, them and, th- and with this storyline. So um, little two nuggets you guys can file away for later. All right. Now on to the moment of truth, Van, who won the episode? McNulty. Thought it was pretty easy. Big, oh, because he uh, ultimately, he got, his, he, he got, he got Lester? Got he got Lester on his side? He got Lester on his side. He got a serial killer. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was actually a pretty simple one uh, that he won. Um, For me, I think it was Daniels. And even though Daniels is in a bit of a tough spot, let's just look at the trajectory of Daniels' career. Or at least I should say, look at what has happened to his career since he got buried in the evidence room is that he has been on a continual ascent and he hasn't really had to compromise his character because of it. And he he got in this position because he was brutally honest and because he did the work and because, you know, he believed in good, in good police. He's one of the few people in this series that actually gets rewarded continually for kind of doing the right thing. 
Right. You know, yeah. and so that's hard to find. And now a year into the job, he is going to, you know, he's headed. Uh, he's on a, a fast track to be commissioner. Yeah. Because it started from him telling the truth and telling Carcetti not what he wanted to hear, but what were the realities of the department. Oh, I can which, see that. Yeah, yeah. Which let Carcetti know that he could trust him. And that's the only reason that he's his man. I mean, I think it's just funny because the way Burrell and Rawls, they're so uh, put out by the fact that he has kind of risen past them and he's the golden boy now, considering mm-hmm. that the way that they treated him. And that's the other thing, too. How many times do you get to, and it, you know, in a way, like, I get it that Daniels is a little bit tortured, but how many times do you get to see the people who try to do you in, like, get their just desserts? Like, right. Burrell has tried to bury him a few times. Burrell has threatened to blackmail him a few times, and now he's about to have his job. That's some good shit. <laughs> it is. No, no That's I some get good it. shit. It's a strong one. I didn't think about that. I think Daniels has kind of been on my mental back burner. But yeah. nah, he definitely had a good episode this episode, for sure. Yeah, he he got, even though he's uncomfortable in the way it happened, I'm like, look, you better talk to your shit. <laughs> like, <No. laughs> it, it, this does not happen all the time, so you better glory and delight in it. Uh, anyway, people, thank you for hanging out uh, with us for another breakdown of another episode of The Wire, episode three, not for uh, not for attribution as we power along into this final season. Uh, we appreciate the support. And as always, keep listening to us and keep watching The Wire. We will see you all next time. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.